I'm Tyler Hake, and you're listening to Season 1, Episode 6 of Next Story Up, a smart building services podcast by Schneider Electric. Act 1. This is water. We find ourselves today in spring, just a great time of year. Flowers in bloom, days getting longer, weather perfect, baseball teams in contention. Spring, particularly this portion of it, is the best, most optimistic time of the year. Just one man's opinion, but feel free to let me know why I'm wrong. The comments are open. You know what else is great about this time of year? It's graduation commencement speech season, and those speeches are just the best. Wisdom, humor, optimism, and inspiration shared from the year's most successful people as our new crop of value creators approach the frontier of their promising careers in the global workforce. And, worth noting, enters our buildings with their heightened demands for connectivity and occupant experience, but I digress. I was the personal recipient of two commencement speeches for two graduations. The first was Hoda Kotb from the Today Show when I finished undergrad, and the second was Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy when I finished grad school. Hoda's was more fun. Maybe this intro will make you go down the rabbit hole on commencement speeches like it has for me. For instance, I just learned that since my undergraduate commencement speech at Virginia Tech from Hoda Kotb, more recent professional Hokies heard from the likes of Michelle Obama, Eric Schmidt, and Sheryl Sandberg, and that this year's speaker will be Frank Beamer. But enough details for speeches at the greatest polytechnic institute and state university in the world. These occur every spring at every school, and as such, many best-of lists have been compiled. Should you peruse those lists, one that you'll come across more often than not, and one that I return to pretty frequently, is the late David Foster Wallace's This Is Water commencement address at Kenyon College in 2005. It's titled for how it starts, which opens like this. Greetings, thanks, and congratulations to Kenyon's graduating class of 2005. There are these two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way, who nods at them and says, morning, boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit, and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the hell is water? Foster Wallace then continues. But if you're worried that I plan to present myself here as the wise older fish explaining what water is to you younger fish, please don't be. I am not the wise old fish. The point of the fish story is merely that the most obvious, important realities are often the ones that are hardest to see and talk about. And that's really the part I love. The most obvious, important realities are often the ones that are hardest to see and talk about. The speaker was talking about personal, day-to-day life realities here, but it relates just as well to the day-to-day realities and challenges we experience and hope to address as a society and industry. Take, for instance, climate change, which is one of the most important issues we hope to address with smarter, cleaner, and more efficient building systems. Is it always easy to see in real time? Of course not. It snowed at the Rockies game today as I record this message. But that doesn't make it not a reality. Is it easy to talk about? If you think it is, then you, my friend, have not been to one of my family's Thanksgiving dinners. This applies to our industry and appetite for new technology as well. We tend to take the current, given way of doing things as the only way of doing things, by default, unless we are jostled into doing so. 
That day-to-day automatic environment is really just the water we're swimming in. In this context, people shouldn't really be saying, we need to think outside the box when trying to come up with something new. They should be saying, we need to think outside the fishbowl. Today, we go outside our fishbowl to talk about another very important piece in the future of smart infrastructure, the smart energy grid and microgrids in particular. A nimble and flexible interaction, often as a prosumer and not just a consumer, with the smarter energy grid projects to be a perpetually demanded requirement for smart buildings. It's not just about energy efficiency. It's also about resiliency and having the ability to procure clean and emissions-free energy resources to fuel our facilities. Already, we're seeing amazing net-zero or energy-positive buildings in large urban centers, as well as massive solar installations to support world-famous, high-profile infrastructure. But how can that be? Aren't renewables prohibitively expensive? Aren't they too variable? Is this a pipe dream? I ask these questions of our next guest. Trish Starkey is a business development manager in New Energy Landscape Strategic Alliances at Schneider Electric with a background in strategic customers within the U.S. microgrid space. She's an energy enthusiast, a relationship builder, a sales leader, and a strategic marketer. And I can't think of many more energetic and exciting communicators within the organization. It will be a treat to have this Nashville native school us on technologies occurring outside of the building realm this week, so we can understand how they'll be powered and interacting with the grid today, tomorrow, and into the future. We chat with Trish Starkey in Act 2. Act 2. The people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Rob Siltanen. And with that, let's dive right into our discussion with Trish. The analogy around water totally makes sense for microgrid. We are a society that takes for granted that when you flip a switch, energy comes on, and we don't often think about what it takes to get that energy to us to consume. So it's definitely something that I think is becoming more top of mind. We're pushing it to the forefront with kind of change of the energy landscape, crumbling utility infrastructure, the introduction of renewables, improving technology around renewables. It's kind of like the perfect storm that hopefully is making it more top of mind. I wasn't even thinking about how our society looks at, okay, you flip a switch on and you and you get electricity. And that's a big thing for Schneider, right? Access to electricity is a basic human right. You've already caught me. Uh, <laughs> In my in my typical water. So that was a commencement speech. Can you remember who your commencement speecher was? You know, to be honest, I have no idea who spoke. (laughs) However, I'm a huge fan of what graduation represents. I actually just helped my younger sister celebrate her graduation from NC State. She got her MBA this past weekend. So why I love it is it's such like a moment in time. You know, where you're celebrating hard work and you're kind of closing a chapter and there's a promise of an uncharted future. So there's definitely been several I've watched. Ones that I, I love the most are the ones that make you think differently. Isn't that what college is about? Broadening your horizons. And I don't know, I think it's a cool moment of time where students are already reflective at anything that kind of pushes them forward to go make bold choices on their next endeavors. 
is something I can get behind. Yeah, it's a nice little nudge when you finish school to recalibrate your mindset and say, hey, here's what you've got in front of you. It's this incredible opportunity to go make something for yourself out of your career. Everyone has unique gifts, right? And it's how you use those gifts in your, your work that drives society forward. Yeah, for sure. One of the gifts that I think you've got is you're a great communicator. And I think Thank that you. some of the skill sets that you've put together since graduation is that you've, you've spent a lot of time in microgrids. This is a show that's typically about buildings and really centered on the building experience. Would you be able to maybe start by describing to us what it is that you've done and, and what microgrids do for us and for buildings? Absolutely. So so let's maybe start with microgrid, right? I get this all the time. People are like, what do you do, Trish? What industry are you in? And <laughs> yeah. What the heck is a microgrid? So what I say is it, it's exactly what it sounds like, right? A small grid. So an interconnected group of distributed on-site, often renewable energy resources that allow buildings to produce and locally consume energy. So think about what that means. So if you have solar on your rooftop, you've got a backup generator within your system, maybe your process requires combined heat and power, or you've added storage, or even wind. So interconnecting different on-site resources to essentially empower you to be your own grid when needed. And those can be all sorts of different renewables then. I typically think of solar with microgrid. Is that misleading? Am I wrong on that? Or No, not at all. I mean, solar is typically something we see as part of a microgrid, but it certainly doesn't have to be. What types of facilities and customers invest in microgrid? Yeah, so customers don't often know they want a, in air quotes, microgrid. Instead, what we find is customers that are looking to solve for integrated energy outcomes. So they're trying to solve an equation around increased resilience, sustainability, and efficiency. And so this could be an energy-intensive industrial manufacturing plant, someone who really understands the true cost of downtime during a utility outage. They have to send workers home. They lose a batch of product. They've experienced and felt the pain of losing their utility connection. It could also be businesses or operations that support a critical mission where disruption of power could really impact their primary purpose. We've designed and built over 300 advanced microgrid and controls projects in North America alone. But of the many examples we have from a commercial building, distribution warehouses, military applications, airports, senior living centers, even an aquarium, there are a couple favorite examples I have. One is Montgomery County, Maryland. Okay. So Montgomery County, Maryland is right next to D.C. So it's embracing microgrids to harden key public facilities that provide a continuity of, of services during big disasters or other events. Montgomery County sits in the crosshairs of a few different drivers. So extreme weather events causing outages, poor reliability, high cost of energy, external threats given the proximity to D.C., yep. coupled with really, really aggressive sustainability goals. So they have all these different challenges. They were looking for how do they take that next step, their energy journey, right? And they identified a need to upgrade the county's largest facility, 400,000 square feet, 50-year-old Original electrical infrastructure was failing, parts were hard to source. So they came to us and said, you know, look, we've got this challenge. We think this might be an opportunity to address the aging infrastructure while improving the facility's overall capabilities and an opportunity to meet their sustainability goals. So we worked with them at their public safety headquarters, which public safety headquarters, what is that, right? Fire, police, homeland security, medical services, everything for the county is dispatched out of this main facility. 
So we worked with them to add rooftop and canopy mounted solar, combine that with combined heat and power to provide a more resilient system. So we just finished this project and it was actually recognized by the U.S. Green Building Council for the way the project was put together. So there's an award similar to LEED called the Peer Award and it's okay. really performance, excellence, and energy renewal. So it's recognized as its leadership in this space for making microgrids more repeatable, building projects that both have immediate benefit on the front end and operational excellence as they perform. When I think of microgrid, typically I'm thinking about sustainability and efficiency. And that's probably just because of the renewable nature of that. But you're really looking at resiliency as being a principal driver there. Absolutely. I mean, microgrids have been around for a really, really, really long time. Okay. Maybe they weren't called microgrids, but if you think about the concept, there have been critical processes that have needed to be supported, and microgrids have been a way to do that. I think what we're seeing is a change of industry where now resilience doesn't have to come at the expense of sustainability. So you can have a resilient clean, efficient, and sustainable microgrid with the introduction of new renewable technologies. That's so really... if you think of the definition of a microgrid, it, it is not distributed energy resource specific. You hear a lot about solar and battery, but really it's a combination of distributed on-site resources interconnected in a way that's beneficial for operation. I guess you could also, if you're looking to invest in sustainability and maybe change that end of your business, that's another way that you could maybe get to the same outcome, right? investing in microgrid because you want to do some on-site renewables. Yeah. So so what we see is typically companies have taken a first step or maybe a first couple steps. Yeah. They want to be more sustainable. That's core to their business objectives. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. A key part of sustainability is efficiency, understanding how much energy you use and where, and being more efficient is a first step in sustainability, right? Then you see companies who are looking at off-site green energy. So programs where they can procure more sustainable energy as part yep. of their energy mix. And then for those who have solar, we see them wanting to take the next step. So I have solar, but now what? And one really interesting finding, this kind of always blows my mind, a lot of companies who have solar, they've invested in multi-megawatt, million-dollar-plus investments to put solar on their campus. They don't understand that when the power goes out, that solar provides them no benefit. So pause there. When the grid goes down, if you have yeah. solar on site, you don't get any benefit from that. However, when you take that next step and you interconnect your solar with other on-site resources, you maximize the full value of solar and what you've started to put on your campus. It sounds like one of the key words in this discussion today is going to be interconnected. It's come up a couple times early, and it sounds right there like it's critically important. Absolutely. So. How do microgrids relate to the building experience for the facility manager or the building occupant, if at all? So microgrids totally impact the building experience. Okay. And if you think about it at the most core, fundamental, basic, if your building has a microgrid, you're able to ride through outages. So we'll work with our customers to say, help us understand what happens within your building. And then help us prioritize when the lights go out or you lose power, what are the most important functions to keep working? So you can have a 100% fully resilient microgrid where there's no impact in your operation, or maybe it's okay that the coffee maker doesn't work or lights on this side of the building don't come on. So it's this process of prioritization around what's most important for the building experience to keep working. So I'd say that's kind of the core thing. And then specific to 
facility managers, you know, they're key in this process of prioritizing and what needs to stay grid stable during an outage. So we work very closely with them to understand the purpose of the building and empower them to choose how they want to build the microgrid to support their needs. And then, of course, if you think about it, too, microgrids empower the facility to choose when they'd like to produce, consume, store energy so they can avoid expensive utility demand charges or protect their operations around if the utility power midday is going to cause a spike in energy cost. It gives them control to manage their facility in a new and different way. Yeah, I mean, it's an added layer of control and prioritization on top of just making sure you optimize sequences of operations to save energy. Now you can find new ways to procure different types of energy and also avoid some demand charges and things like that. So I think there's a really good tie there. It's cool if you think about ways that facility manager can drive operational transformation. This is a whole new territory where they have an opportunity to show how new revenue streams can benefit their organization. They can drive greater reliability and resilience. You've mentioned how you can take those first steps. And as you take those first steps, you might go down a further path. And you've also mentioned here the importance of prioritization from a facility manager perspective, which are two things that I think they're familiar with on the building automation end of things that should resonate really well with that audience to understand, okay, this is just another way for me to ramp up my facility management and establish processes. Is the microgrid industry like the building automation industry digital? Is it becoming more digital? Where do you think we're at? I think microgrids are the poster child for digitization. So if you think about it, data helps demystify energy. First, you have to know what you're consuming, and then you can be more efficient. And then once you've right-sized your consumption, you can leverage microgrid technology from connected products, edge control, to that top layer of analytics and services to produce, optimize, and consume energy in a smarter, more resilient, and sustainable way. So really, the data behind it all gives you the power to make smarter, more informed decisions about your operation. I like to say that you can't master what you can't measure. Exactly. When you think of microgrids, it's no different. That's good. That's that's really good for this audience to understand and for me to understand, frankly. <laughs> Part of the reason I have you on here is so I can learn <laughs> um, selfishly, uh, for sure. So, so thank you for explaining it that way. All right. So part of the backdrop we laid today was to preface our audience for a different type of discussion. But part of it was also to illustrate that there have always been doubts about investing in renewable technology. Are these doubts justified? So look, if you think renewable technology is new, you might have totally missed that the market size for renewable energy in, in say, even 2017 was $1.5 trillion, right? Renewable power generation capacity is growing year over year. It's a known market. It's not going away. And there's some really key drivers that are making it more and more interesting. The improving technology, the declining cost of that improving technology. I think that my advice would be if you're waiting, you're waiting and missing the benefits that can be realized right now. So the people that are potentially waiting or potentially acting, the folks that are involved in making the decisions to invest in microgrid or renewable technologies, what kind of backlash do they face for jumping out of their fishbowl and trying something different? So I don't know. I don't think of it as like they'll face backlash for 
exploring microgrid technologies, I think more of the challenge is they're not quite sure where to start. Yep. You've got a lot of people vying for facility or operations leaders' time. You've got folks making the pitch from a very technology-specific angle. So get a fuel cell, get a battery, get solar. I think that knowing kind of your entry point and what your options are probably would be the, the biggest challenge, right? So a microgrid and the, the opportunity to procure through an energy as a service decision involves both the operational side of it and also the financial decision makers, decision makers who understand that new options for creating and managing energy exist. And they understand that while the new energy landscape can feel complex, that there's opportunities to see real projects that have benefited end users by appreciating that partners can bring both sound technology and new ways to procure that at the end of the day is really good business. You mentioned a term there that I'm not as familiar with, energy as a service. Is that the new way of potentially procuring? So it's either a CapEx purchase okay. or through energy as a service. So to go back to the definition around what is a microgrid, energy as a service is pretty straight up too, right? So it is procuring your energy in a, in a new way as a service. So you pay for what you use and it's the intersection between energy that's smartly acquired, locally produced and efficiently consumed. So all of the things that we've discussed, you know, the benefits of a microgrid right. when procured through energy as a service give you some extra value, unlock some extra value. What are those things? You don't, as an end user, need to provide the upfront capital to build the microgrid. You're reducing the risk of the technology performing. You're reducing the operational risk. You're locking in a long-term contract. That really is, is helpful for a lot of businesses who want to focus on what their core mission is, which often isn't to be their own utility and figure out the new energy landscape, right? right. Yeah, they've got bigger fish to fry. Exactly. This is a key driver in the industry that's going to increase microgrid adoption. It just makes sense. If you think about it like, okay, I'm a business owner. I have all different ways that I can put my capital budget to work. Am I really going to want to carve out and take on the selection of all the different partners, make all the technology work together, figure out how to train my facility manager to understand all these new technologies in addition to an already very, very busy day job? Right. If you think about the benefits energy as a service offers, it's kind of simplifying and removing the complexity yes. of, of taking advantage of the benefits of a microgrid. So you get all of the resilience, efficiency, sustainability, but then in addition, when you procure a microgrid through energy as a service, you are essentially reducing your risk, increasing your predictability, and freeing up your capital to go put to work in other areas. And you're offloading all of that complexity to a partner or a suite of partners that is scaling this service and already knows how to do it well. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I think that that is going to be a big lesson from this discussion today the ability to partner in that way and offload that seemingly complex process to a trusted partner. Absolutely. I like it. What are the drivers that would lead a customer to invest in microgrids primarily? I think that there's the basic drivers to make a customer think about why a microgrid. And I think it's also this, can energy be a strategic business asset? that enables my business to run better. So costly outages, rising energy costs, if they have an energy intensive process, trying to figure out how they can be more sustainable in their operation. I think those are all key drivers and 
and why now, right? It's really being supplemented by improving innovations in power electronics, controls, communications equipment, storage, just other types of distributed generation. So innovations around technology. I think regulations and policies are evolving to empower end users to think about energy different. So tax incentives, programs that are helping end users take this step. And then, as I mentioned before, financial tools that are emerging that help align cost with revenue generation and savings. All right. So, Trish, how does a building owner or real estate developer benefit then ultimately from investing in a microgrid? Okay. You're a building owner or developer. You have all sorts of new technologies you are focused on, the experience of the occupant, and really, at the core, the experience of your occupant is not going to be so great if you lose power. Right. Um, <laughs> so, so if you think about it kind of like from fundamentals, by increasing your resilience to deal with what we know is going to be more extreme weather events, unpredictability of an overstrained grid, it becomes kind of a basic core fundamental that any new building should be thinking about. And for those that exist, they're going to need to remain competitive by ensuring they can keep the lights on and incorporate and consume sustainable energy locally. There's all sorts of different examples around, you know, like Cornell University announced plans to go 100% resilient. This past December, Boston University, which has the largest student body in the state of Massachusetts, announced it'll buy all of its electricity from renewable sources in the wow. near future. You're going to find it will become a mandate from occupants to understand how that building's being passed from what sources, and there's going to be a table stakes expectation that the building is resilient. People have exhibited interest in procuring greener energy, being in more efficient facilities, and, and really embracing things like LEED and standards on that front. I think the flip side of that is where you started, which is it's so cool that you went here. Everything really is starting with the occupant experience and improving that occupant experience for those students at those universities or whatever folks are doing within a facility. And if you start at the occupant experience and you think of something as simple as let's make sure that we have resilient power in place for all the things that we need to do, it's really neat to see, even from something like how you power these facilities, you're starting with that occupant experience. Another advantage, if you think about it, too, from an economic development perspective, you're going to sell me on the attractiveness of your space if you can guarantee that it's going to, to be up and running. So if you think of like the Schneider Electric Andover Research and Development Center, yeah. where we've built a microgrid, we treated ourselves as a customer evaluating what's that priority, what operations need to be up and working in the event of an outage. So we went through this prioritization exercise and some of the key things that made the cut as far as what needs to be on and funded are our cafeteria, our, our showers and gyms, all for the kind of focus of helping be a place for our, our employees to be able to go to, but then also local aid workers could come and access power there too. So the type of things that you hope you never need to use, but when you do need to use them, it's a big benefit for you. Absolutely. Who benefits the most from all of this? So you said it at the beginning. At Schneider, we believe access to energy is a basic human right. Yep. So by empowering end users to have abundant, resilient, sustainable, predictable, and efficient energy, we're really delivering on that promise that businesses and communities can unlock their full potential with a microgrid. By having the power on, it really pays off Schneider's promise that life is on. Do you believe that there's a time in the future where this will be a more common application? And actually, 
as I asked that question, is this already a more common application than I might even realize? I definitely think that microgrids are more mainstream than folks might think. There's important steps that have been taken and tons of reference sites where this is not a science project technology. This is an industry that's seen exponential growth year over year, advancements in technology, innovations on business model. This is empowering prosumers to take the next step. There's no question in my mind that distributed energy and microgrids will continue to be a key part of this changing energy future. Our grid is clearly evolving towards one that's more of a decentralized grid infrastructure. And so as we move in that direction, it makes more, it makes very clear, obvious sense for us to have microgrids play a a large role in that. Decarbonize, decentralize, digitize, more electric. That's you. It's why we're here trying to help solve for what the new energy future looks like. That's great. So in that future, what will we look back on as, as the greatest contribution that microgrid technology has given us? I think it's around this independence and safety, security, being able to locally produce and consume energy, right? It's a more efficient way of powering your operation. It's a pretty powerful transformation if you think about it, right? If we were to go build the grid, let's start with a totally clean slate. It, it likely wouldn't look like the one that exists today. Yeah. Right. And the one that we've inherited is one that is very central, big plants, oftentimes carbon intensive that feed into the the overall grid. If we started today, as we are throughout the world in a lot of places, it's definitely more of this sort of decentralized, resilient, independent infrastructure. That's a really good point. Absolutely. Might I ask you, if you're excited to be a professional in the building energy technology industry, (laughs) I I have a guess that you are. (laughs) Um, And if that is the case, what is it that does excite you so much to be a professional in this industry today? So the new energy landscape is really an intersection of so many interesting and meaningful things. So we're thinking differently about something that we all rely on, right? Resilience no longer has to be at the expense of sustainability. I think that's just so powerful. New business models and collaborations with entities that we've never seen talking and thinking about this, it's just so cool, right? It's a birth of a whole new advanced energy economy that promises opportunities for future workforce, building infrastructure today for future generations. I mean, digitization that meets energy, really what could be cooler than that? It is really cool. And it lends itself to that word interconnection that you've used so much throughout the course of this conversation. We're connecting resiliency with renewables and and energy efficiency and and clean resources. And we're connecting people in different ways, I think, in business practices, which which is really, really neat. Absolutely. Trish, I knew you'd be a good guest. You're always fun to talk to. I really appreciate you joining us today and, and teaching us about microgrids in this new energy future. Thank you. Thank you, Tyler. As we've learned time and time again in this podcast journey, The world is constantly changing, especially when it bumps up against digital technology. And with those changes, what once may have sounded infeasible becomes expected. The energy sector is no different, and the benefits discussed today have me feeling like a fish swimming in a new blue ocean. In the built environment, the outcomes we produce via technology have to serve many different types of occupant personas, hotel guest, hospital patient, office worker, and so on. And while each of these are different building experiences that are also constantly evolving, there is a lot of commonality in what we aim to provide. As we find new experiences and revelations every day, we must also remember that there are some facets of our existence that always stay the same, 
many of which are derived directly from our human nature. Other constancies are encoded into and derived from our traditions. Regardless of where we're from and what traditions we have, we are, just like building occupants, more united in our desires and beliefs than you might think. We'll use pouches, of all things, as we gather around the global dinner table, of all places, to explain how that works. Go find your culinary instrument of choice and plenty of napkins. We dine together in the next Story Up. I am so excited to develop, produce, and host the Schneider Electric Next Story Up podcast, and most importantly, to share it with a listener like you, possessing the same interest and passion in promoting smart building services for the benefit of all. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. I'm Tyler Hake. Aquarium yeah. guy and a baseball stadium guy and a cocktail bar guy, but you travel See, more than I do. You you are doing better than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am a big fan of Eater. Oh, so I love it. Yes, it's where so good. can you find the best restaurants if you only have like you know, limited meals in different cities? You know, don't you want them to be the best? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Nobody cool. got time for a bad meal.